0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and
1: friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writingexcuses. Season 14. Episode 3. This is Writing Excuses! World of Hats. Fifteen minutes long.
2: Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Margaret. I don't have any hats. You do have a hat. Well, is I it a I don't have any hats on hat? me. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a headband. This is my the world of headbands place. right now. <laughs> what
3: well, we've got a few introductions to do first. So, we are on season 14. And when uh, we worked on the outline for season 14... I wanted to do kind of several upfront, very crunchy episodes about world building, about, you know, week one, some topic that will improve your world building skills— Week two, taking some specific world-building element. And then for week three, I wanted to go a little bit in a different direction and talk maybe about a trope of world-building or a subgenre of world-building or something that we haven't talked about a lot on the podcast, but which kind of exemplifies a world-building element. So these are going to kind of be a little bit wild-cardy, but they will tie into the topic of the month. Um, and this week, we're doing World of Hats. We'll explain what that is in a minute, but I would like first to have an introduction from Margaret.
4: Hi, it's so nice to be here. Uh, My name is Margaret Dunlap, according to my Twitter bio, so it must be true. I am (laughs) a writer for the small and smaller screens. This means I write for television. I've worked on projects like The Middleman or the new Dark Crystal Age of Resistance series that's coming to Netflix in 2019 at some point. Very mysterious. Uh, I've also worked on web series such as the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, a modern update of Pride and Prejudice on YouTube, and I also write fiction, most notably the Book Burners serial with Serial Box Publishing.
2: And we are super excited to have you on. Um, by by way of by way of my own excitement, uh, Margaret represents one of my greatest regrets of the <laughs> Baltic the Baltic Writing Excuses cruise because I think we met on the next to the last day... Something like sat that. ...sat <laughs> down and started having breakfast, and I realized I want to sit down and talk to Margaret long enough that she just starts talking, and then I will listen forever.
1: <laughs> this is why I invited Margaret to be my roommate the next time I went on a cruise. Because And yep. I was like, we just need to bring Margaret on writing excuses. Fair listener, you now, have,
2: you now have our reasons. <laughs> yes.
1: Also, uh, not mentioned, she teaches screenwriting. Yes, that is true.
3: And uh, you are our first, like, Full-time guest screenwriter, so we are really, really excited about that.
4: I I will do my best not to let down the side.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about World of Hats. World of Hats is a name of a trope taken from TV tropes and probably before, uh, where a story will represent an entire culture by a couple of distinguishing features— and uh, this comes from an episode of Star Trek where they landed on a planet and everyone there was 1920s gangsters and they all wore hats. And so that's kind of, that's a simplification of the trope. You can look it up yourself. But we're really on this podcast. We want to dig into this idea. Um, monolithic cultures in sci-fi fantasy. Um, and my question is going to be normally when we have these discussions, this is seems a pretty bad thing. Um, let's talk about why and why this trope could be damaging to your stories starting
1: off. So the first thing is that it's not the way things work. There is always an outlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, People have different ideas of things, even if you go into a a single culture area. Like, um, you know, if, if, for instance, you go into a church, not everybody in that church, in that congregation, is going to approach worship in the same way. Even though they all have the same basic tenets, they all have the same basic belief structure, their approach and their individual uh, life experience up to that point is going to lead them to different things. Um, Anything that you talk about, like if you go into a science fiction convention, theoretically, it's a monoculture. But oh, my goodness, there are so many subcultures within science fiction. So that's one problem: is that it, so it just
3: a simple realism problem there. Yeah. Um, that if you're striving to tell your stories in a way that are going to resonate in a realistic way, having everybody—I mean, some of my favorite fantasy books as a young man growing up were like this—but I still noticed it, mm-hmm. even even as a you know 15-year-old reading. I'm like, wow, how come every person we meet from this culture is sneaky and thieving and.
2: That's a nice shorthand, but you know, how do oh, they have any banks? It's everything. Yeah. It's 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 the biggest thing that I didn't like about the the core mythos of Dungeons and Dragons, mm. where you know all orcs are what neutral evil or chaotic right. evil or something. I'm like, what, but they're they're sapient. They can think. Right. So, so is there some not, orcs yeah. actually think other things. Mm-hmm. Now, the flip well, side— Well, also, somebody's go got to be
4: doing the day-to-day of, like, orcness. Right. Of, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that you've got a culture and you've got a guy who's like, all right, you know, Thorg, you, you're going to go and, you know, take care of, you know, bookkeeping. Like, there's an orcish post office someplace. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I want the orc accountant. <laughs>
3: um, the, uh, the web cartoonist uh, who does Sheldon has a whole series on a Klingon um, party— a thrower, yeah. like
2: um, uh, <laughs> an event, event planner, and a Klingon, <laughs> barber. Cartoonist name is yeah. uh, Dave Kellett, a mm-hmm. uh, friend of mine. Brilliant nerd. Mm-hmm. His his takedown of nerdery is is awesome. Um, when we talk about when we talk about World of Hats and monoculture, it's worth noting that it is actually useful if you pull it low enough that it becomes background noise. For instance, Earth is planet of the bipeds. All of the intelligent creatures walk on two legs. Okay, there are some outliers, obviously, where the two-legged creatures can't walk on two legs, and we are arguing, you know, we can argue about how intelligent other creatures are, but we have this underlying subtext that... Human beings just wouldn't notice because we're the. It's just everybody. It's just that's what we are.
1: And and it is true that that within, you know, that there are certain things that we we assume aren't universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, nodding, you know, that that's something that pretty much everyone does in North America to signify yes. But if you go to India, it's a different motion.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But but what's significant about that is that. In fact, that is a mannerism that, I- that everyone in India does, and it is a mannerism that everyone in the United States does. So there are things that you can do that are culturally significant. There, there was a point in the United States where, yes, in fact, everyone did wear hats. That was culturally appropriate to do. But having an entire planet like that, right. that's, that's where things get kind of like—and and also people's relationship to their hat.
3: Right. Well, it, it, it also kind of leads you—one of the big problems with World of Hats is the smaller the group you do this to, the more likely you are to stereotype in mm-hmm. your storytelling and then start to kind of bleed this over into, you know, when—it's it, it's funny to say, oh, this is the planet where everyone wears a hat. Then you get into, this is a country where no one is trustworthy. And then you yeah, go into, this is an ethnicity where everyone is stupid, and suddenly you've gotten really quickly into really dangerous, problematic uh, areas very quickly. And so that's one of the reasons why this bothers me is because it, it only takes a couple steps to extrapolate to something that is, yeah. that is just scary.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, let's stop uh, for our book of the week, which is um, An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir. And this is not a world of hats, uh, which is one of the reasons why I picked it. It's a world of masks. That's just a joke. <laughs> um, it has this really cool uh, world-building element to it where um, there's a pseudo-Roman Empire-esque sort of thing um, where people— trained to become these ultimate soldiers, um, and they put on these masks that will meld to their face and show their features and slowly clamp on and be this permanent mask, which, of course, is also a metaphor for, you know, being kind of adopted into their mentality and things like this. And it tells the story of two characters, um, one whose family is uh, destroyed and murdered by this empire and by one of these masks, and another person who is studying to become a mask um, and who is st- no longer buying in, and the mask is not attaching. Um, and so all of their, uh, friends are like in the, this- why is your mask not attaching? What's up with you? Um, and meanwhile, uh, the the protagonist, she's going through the dungeons to find the uh, resistance, but it's not exactly what she thinks either. And so it's there's lots of really interesting world-building about two people who don't quite fit their own cultures, um, done in a way that doesn't fit feel generic mm. rebel uh, with, without a cause um i really enjoyed the book it's fast paced it has excellent world building has a really nice voice um, and i would recommend it to you all so that was uh, an ember in the ashes by Sabah here
2: um, you uh when you you talk about the you know the rebelling against against the mask the rebelling mm. against anything one of the uh, i think one of the reasons we lean towards a monoculture or a monoclimate—you know, you look at uh, Arrakis, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Herbert's Dune—is because um, it, because one of the questions we're asking is, what if there's a desert and you just can't get away from it? Mm-hmm. Right. There is no way to live anywhere else. What if there are hats and you have to wear one? Um, and, and rebellion isn't an option— uh, well, then your story is about something else. Now, if it's what if there are hats and and someone takes their hat off, then you're not really telling a world of hats story. You're telling a story about the change from the hat empire to the empire of the handsome bald men who don't need hats anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's let's ask that question. Um, how do you how?
3: The reason, one of the big reasons World of Hats is used so much is as a quick shorthand, Mm -hmm. particularly in television where we get this trope's name from. You can see everybody's different. They're all wearing a hat. Suddenly we have done quick world building. Is there a way to get that quick world building with that shorthand without running into these dangers?
4: Yeah. I mean, not to be an apologist for television Mm -hmm. because I try to avoid, but I think part of the reason why you see this on, you know, the planet of the gangsters on Star Trek and, you know, also this is TV being made a while ago at this point, is that you you have to be very efficient in your storytelling. If the Enterprise had been spending an entire season on the gangster planet, it probably would have become more complex. But as it is, you're probably getting maybe 20 minutes of showtime with this culture that you're interacting with that really exists to be the metaphor. And you have to do that as quickly and efficiently as possible. And I'm sure you know Howard knows about it's a huge simplification. Huge
2: simplification required in order to to have a quick morality play. Mm -hmm. To have a a quick uh, a quick story with a moral and we need some set pieces and everybody's gonna have hats and that's just one of the set pieces and away we go. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And I think maybe a way to steer out of danger in that is to look at what the morality play is that you're doing. If your morality play is, like, well, people who aren't like you are untrustworthy and evil, like, that's where the trope becomes right. problematic. But mm-hmm. frequently with tropes, it's not the trope. It's what you do with it. Yeah.
1: yeah and I think one of the things uh, that, that you said when you were talking about that was that, you know, it's episodic television and they're there for one ep- one episode. And for for writers who are writing prose, that's the difference between short story and novel. Uh, and you're in much more danger of running into this in a short story context than you are a novel because you can't have multiple represent- representatives right. of of a, 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 a particular culture or, or species. So then, what you have to be very careful about is um, your character's opinion standing in for a global truth about mm-hmm. something, right?
3: Yeah, and I, I think that is a danger. Like one of the easiest ways to to kind of use this but not, not uh, how should we say, not inhale it, not mm-hmm. go too far, is to make sure there is some dissenting opinion expressed somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, or it doesn't even have to be dissenting, Um, Like, one of the things about *An Emmer in the Ashes that it did really well is it starts off with the scene of how terrible masks are from the viewpoint of the protagonist as she watches them do this terrible thing. The very next viewpoint, and you're presented as masks are all these super soldiers scary. Your very next viewpoint is mask who doesn't really want to be masked and is planning to run away. And so immediately that contrast, and that only took two chapters to, to both solidify in my mind. This is how they all are. No, it's not, um, and it gives the evil empire thing across. But it fills the evil empire immediately with people who are scared of their own empire,
4: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
3: rather than mindless drones in the empire.
4: Yeah, yeah. What came to mind as you were saying that is actually one way that a world of hats can be really effective, and an example of that is the Borg. Right, are mm-hmm. a world of hats, and that is what makes them terrifying because yeah. they are all the same and they are implacable. And you know they're just there, and I think it's telling that when you get to Voyager and you introduce Seven of Nine, that's where you have to start making the Borg more complicated,
2: yeah. right? Well, and it's important to recognize that the Borg were not frightening to us because they were cyborgs. They were not frightening to us because of the hats. They were frightening to us because world of yeah. There is nothing but there uh, is nothing but, but this change. Yes. And they're trying
4: to make us a galaxy of hats.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I find uh, useful as a writer is when I'm going down the world of hats trope, I will ask myself, no, 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 let's just say it's city of hats. I can believe in city of hats. What do the other cities look like? Mm. Oh, let's say it's gender of hats. Uh, Well, what what do the other genders look like? It's religion of hats. What do the other religions look like? So that— I'm immediately asking the question that makes the society more robust, even if I'm just doing a binary, you know, hat on, hat off thing. Yeah. My rule is if I'm going to have a character—and
3: I write big fantasies, so I can I can get away with this. But if I'm going to have a character that I worry is going to represent an entire culture, I need to work in another character somewhere who is different from that character to— clue the reader in that maybe th- this culture a lot of people are like this yep. this person but you're going to find other people in the culture and it just makes a world more real to me um when i do that
1: yeah one of the things a trick that i did in in a short story was i had a character and they were like yeah i i know i'm basically a walking stereotype mm. Um, but they, they said that out loud about their their World of Hats thing. Right. And so that allowed me to then have other characters recognize that, oh, yeah, because of the stereotype, that means that that's not a real true thing. Uh, and I didn't have to have multiple representation, multiple.
3: Yeah, you st- hung, a, hung a lantern on it yeah. um, and, and worked with it. We are out of time. This was a great uh, discussion. Mary, you've got our homework.
1: Yes. So what I want you to do is I actually want you to write some fanfic. I want you to pick a popular piece of media that you enjoy, and I want you to write fanfic, you know, something like write about the Klingon who's a belly dancer, write about the outlier, write about the microclimate on Hoth where you can grow peaches. Pick something so that—and break the world of hats and let us see another aspect.
3: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
1: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.